0: During uh, this uh, season of uh, Eastertide, we're going to uh, be looking together at uh, the last uh, two chapters, parts of the last two chapters of the Gospel of John. There are uh, four appearances Jesus makes uh, in this Gospel, and we're going to look at those four, beginning with uh, John chapter 20, verse 11. John chapter 20, verse 11. We'll begin there. Let's pray together as we prepare to hear God's word. Arisen Lord Jesus Christ, as your word was spoken to those who had followed you and who heard from you after your resurrection, so speak to us your word this morning and help it to move our hearts to see you and to know you, and to live for you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. John 20 begins uh, with Mary going to the tomb, Mary Magdalene going to the tomb, John and Peter going there, and then they leave after they've seen the empty tomb. And then in verse 11, But Mary stood outside the tomb crying, And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the feet. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put them. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Four Gospels each tell us of stories of Jesus after his resurrection. Jesus, who is dead, is not dead anymore. He's risen from the tomb. Now, we might expect a fanfare of angels to proclaim his resurrection. There are none. We might expect explosions to light up the night sky. There's none. We might expect somebody to be around to witness it. Nobody does. People arrive afterwards. Mary Magdalene does. Peter and John do. And Jesus appears. But none of the Gospels tell these stories with a blaze of glory. The stories of Jesus' resurrection are told like a candle flame in the dark. There's barely a flicker. First in one place, then in another. In the Gospel of John, we'll told of four different occasions when Jesus appears to his followers. They're intimate. Quiet moments. The first is when Jesus shows up to Mary Magdalene. Mary's weeping. Her Lord, her friend, is gone. She came to the graveyard early on the first day of the week. She came while it was still dark. And she found the stone removed. She found the tomb empty. It seemed like insult and Injury. Not only had he died, but now the body was stolen. How else would one explain the empty tomb? They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. It's not the way things work. It's not natural. Natural is planting a bulb in the fall or winter and getting a daffodil in the spring. Natural is planting carrot seeds to get a carrot. That is nature's way. Planting a dead body and what do you expect? You expect a planted corpse. That's nature's way. No one plants a body in the earth and waits around for the person to reappear so you can pick up where you left off. When you bury a body, you say goodbye. You struggle along in life as best you can. That's nature's way. When my mother died, our family gathered at the funeral home to say our last goodbyes before she would be cremated. Her body was laid out. None of us expected her to sit up and start talking to us. That would be unnatural. When my dad died, we went to the funeral home. His body was laid out. He didn't have shoes on. None of us expected him to ask us to get him his shoes. He didn't need shoes anymore. It's only natural. So Mary didn't come to the tomb expecting a resurrected Jesus. She came expecting to anoint a dead body. She came to pay her respects. She came to the tomb to convince herself that this had all happened. Jesus was dead. When Mary went to the tomb and saw that the stone was moved, she knew something was wrong. Some cruel trick. Maybe the knife twisting a bit deeper. Someone, a gardener, a laborer, a soldier, some servant took his body. And Mary wept. With good reason. I mean, isn't it silly to ask, woman, why are you crying? Two times she's asked. She had reason to cry. Is there some rebuke in this question? Mary, what are you crying for? There's nothing to cry about. Stop it. Open your eyes. See for yourself. No. No, there's reason for tears. I mean, our world gives us reason to weep. We enter hospitals with a lingering pain only to have an MRI reveal cancer. and So we weep. We've watched strong, able-bodied parents become restricted to a wheelchair and then disappear into a mental fog. And then we weep. We've stood vigil at the bedside of a loved one whose breathing slows and finally ebbs away. And we're overcome with weeping. We've faced that moment in the funeral home when we catch a first glimpse of our father, our mother, in a coffin. And we weep buckets of tears. Our world gives us good reason to weep. We know all too well that death happens. Chaos can so easily grab hold of our lives. Four teenagers joyride on a Saturday afternoon. They hit a bump in the road, lose control, cross the line. The approaching car splits their car in half, tossing the two out of the back seat like rag dolls. They die immediately. Gifted students, star volleyball players, leaders in their class and church, dead. That's why Mary wept. wept. She lost her best friend. The person who touched her life with love and grace was crucified and buried. The one who best understood her, who listened to her, who knew her pain, he was dead and now she couldn't find him. They have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. Mary cries the tears of all of humanity. She cries the tears of a human race that has felt the pain of having someone they love die. It's only natural. She weeps for Jesus who one day was dead and buried and now is gone. Irretrievably, finally, gone. Jesus speaks a simple word. He doesn't rebuke her for her weeping. He comes with gentleness. He comes in quiet. She turns to see Jesus standing there, but doesn't realize it's Jesus until he speaks her name. Perhaps it was a whisper. Jesus said to her, Mary, A dawning of recognition came over her. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. In her world of death and crying, new hope arrived. Not with loud trumpets, not with white linen or flames of fire. New hope arrived in a whisper. The good news comes to Mary's ears with quiet gentleness. I mean, if this story was made up, We'd expect it to read more like the book of Revelation. Armies of heaven and eyes of fire and a head full of crowns. If this story was made up, we'd never expect a woman to be the primary witness. That's just not the way their culture worked. Frederick Biekner's right. If the gospel writers had wanted to tell it in a way to convince the world that Jesus indeed rose from the dead, they would presumably have done it with all the skill and fanfare they could muster. Here there is no skill, no fanfare. They seem to be telling it simply the way it was. What we've well, got is an empty tomb and a whispered name, Mary. And that was enough. It was enough for Mary to be convinced like John wrote earlier in his gospel, he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. The good shepherd spoke Mary Magdalene's name in quiet love, a whisper of hope, and her life was never the same. The is told of Mary Ann Bird. Mary Ann had it rough growing up. She had a cleft palate, And a disfigured face. A club foot made her walk with a a lopsided gait. And she was the target of all manner of school-age cruelty. They would sneer. Did you cut your lip? They would laugh. How come you walk like a duck? Mary Ann's world was dark. And then one year, she had Miss Leonard for her teacher. Uh, Miss Leonard was short and round and a bit stodgy, but she shined with kindness. Back in those days, teachers administered a homespun kind of hearing test. The teacher would call a student to her desk, and each student would cover first one ear and then the other, and the teacher would whisper something. Usually, the teacher said something like, the sky is blue or I see you have new shoes. Marianne Bird dreaded this test because in addition to all her other maladies, she was also deaf in one ear. and She feared this test would only single her out for another deficiency in her life. So she usually cheated on the test. She would secretly cup her hand over her good ear so that she could still hear what the teacher was saying. On the day of the test, when it was her turn, Mary Ann waddled forward, cupped her hand over her good ear, and Miss Leonard leaned forward. And Mary Ann heard the words that changed her life forever. For Mary Ann's hearing test, Miss Leonard whispered, I wish you were my little girl. It was as if the voice of Jesus spoke to her. Marianne heard the voice of love, the voice of grace. And these seven words changed her life. Jesus spoke a word of hope to Mary Magdalene. It wasn't shouted. It wasn't accompanied by trumpet fanfare. The soundtrack didn't swell. Jesus simply said to her, Mary. And she knew his voice. But wait, he's not who you think he is. Everything's new. This is not Jesus resuscitated. This is Jesus resurrected. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. There are no hugs, no tearful embraces. Life as it was doesn't resume. The relationship Mary had with Jesus is gone. Jesus doesn't turn back time. Things don't go back to the way they were. The Gospel of John frustrates our expectations with these simple words, Do not hold on to me. Perhaps Jesus sensed what Mary wanted. I mean, she called him Rabboni, teacher. That's the old name that she used to use for him. Perhaps Mary wanted life back the way it was. Maybe she wanted things to go back to the old way of life. It could be that Mary was simply hoping that they would take up where things left off before Jesus was so unjustly murdered. Back to that time that was so familiar. The time when fear didn't rule the day. But as one person says, when Mary called him Rabboni, She was calling him by his Friday name. And this is Sunday. This was an entirely new day. And life too would be entirely new. In this simple moment, Mary's heart probably skipped a beat for having found Jesus alive when she thought he was dead. But maybe immediately her heart was broken because all that once was a hand to hold When life got tough, a shoulder to weep on, when life was challenged, all of it was gone when Jesus said, don't hold on to me. Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. See, Jesus isn't on his way back to Mary. He's not on his way back to the rest of his followers. He's on his way to God the Father. Jesus, the one that John told us came from God, is now Jesus, the one going to God. This is the new life. And it too is an unnatural new life. A frightening new life. Barbara Brown Taylor says, To expect a sealed tomb and find one filled with angels, to hunt the past and discover the future, to seek a corpse and find the risen Lord, none of this is natural. The Gospel of John is telling us that there is a new day here. Jesus is going to the Father. And he's taking all of us with him. That's the truth. That's the good news. It's not natural. It's not logical. It can't be scientifically verified. But it is the essence of what we believe. Jesus is going to God and taking us with Him. We find a hint of it in who Mary thinks Jesus is. All misty-eyed when she turned toward Jesus standing there, she thought He was the gardener. On one level, we all know she's wrong. But on another level, she was absolutely right. Because Jesus represents the beginning of a new creation. He is the new Adam, the gardener given the responsibility of bringing the chaos of creation into God's new order. Thorns and thistles giving way to blossoms and new harvests. This is not the end of the story. What we find here is a new beginning. Just go back to the beginning of John's gospel. Jesus' first words are a question he directs to the disciples of John the Baptist. They began to follow Jesus. And the gospel says, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? That is, what are you looking for? Whom do you seek? The exact same question that Jesus asks Mary. Who is it you are looking for? Whom do you seek? Mary was being called to see the new thing that God was doing in the world. Her following was a participation in God's new world. Jesus, the one who Mary thought she knew, is alive with a new sort of life. A life that no one has ever seen or experienced before. Jesus is a gardener, a gardener of God's new creation. And Mary or anyone else is not able to hold on to him because he's ascending to the Father. Her relationship with Jesus would change. Jesus wouldn't be walking around Galilee and Judea anymore. He wouldn't be sharing meals and discussions and talking and praying. Mary or anyone else can't try to keep Jesus, can't try to possess him. He's going to God, and he'll be taking all who believe with him. Jesus isn't who you think he is. It's not life as usual after his resurrection. He brings a new day, God's new day. In the first garden, God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden because of their sin. In this garden, Jesus rises to meet Mary. He's not as he always was. He brings God's new day into her life. Jesus won't be held back by our affections. He's on his way to God, and he's taking us with him. So Mary left that garden with new life. She had heard the good news. The simple whisper of her name changed everything. Not only was the the stone rolled away, but God planted a seed of life in her that would not be killed. She became part of God's work of redeeming the world. She went off to the disciples with the simple good news. I have seen the Lord. This Easter sticks with us. It doesn't come and go like Easter services or Easter egg hunts or Easter flowers. The Easter that Mary Magdalene finds in the garden early one morning sticks with us no matter what. It fits our lives. It goes with us into places of fear. It goes with us even when our hearts are broken. The truth of Easter, as someone once noted, lets us look into caskets and be sad and still know that there is life in Jesus Christ. Brandon went to Chicago for a youth champion's retreat. He never expected to watch his grandmother die. She wasn't supposed to die. And we are gripped with sadness when death comes knocking. But Easter life lets us look into caskets and not be defeated. We will not be defeated because God raised Jesus to life. God planted a seed of life in us. The seed is a seed of faith. It's the seed that sends Mary to the disciples to declare, I have seen the Lord. That's the good news we live by. I have seen the Lord. It's the good news we can live with. It's the kind of good news that moves mountains. It chases away fear. It's the good news of life in Christ, the kind of news that strengthens us to love our neighbors and even our enemies. This good news is the news that changed the world. I have seen the Lord. Mary reported it to the disciples. And they went out and they changed the world. Every one of them knew that lurking in any shadow, they would find a Savior bursting with new life. They had faith. I have seen the Lord. The world's darkness would not win the day. God's new day was there. Jesus was here. I have seen the Lord. See, we see the Lord whenever our illnesses, cancers and all the rest, severe as they may be, don't seem nearly so final. We see the Lord whenever we press on in faith, a gift from God, clearing away all of the hurdles of addiction or depression or loss. We see the Lord whenever our political differences of opinion evaporate in the unity of our faith in Jesus Christ. We see the Lord when we clothe the naked and we feed the hungry and we house the homeless. We see the Lord when we go to Middletown and we build homes for people who lost their homes in the fire. We see the Lord when neighbors become friends and might even come to Jesus Christ. I had the privilege of seeing the Lord this past Friday night. My daughter Erin graduated from Learning Quest with her high school equivalency diploma and frankly this was a day I didn't think I'd ever see. But the spirit of Jesus was alive in her to bring new life out of the death of illness and disability. And I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord when she walked on stage. And she got her certificate. See, we see Jesus whenever we see God the Father doing His work of redeeming the world. We can't hold on to Jesus. Jesus isn't interested in having us keep him where we are. He wants us to go where he's going. So it's probably best for us to let him hold on to us. It's best to let him take us into the presence of God. And what we'll discover is that God is never behind us, but always ahead of us. God leads us forward into His new day every step of the way. God whispers our name. No, how, no matter how deep the darkness of our lives, God whispers our name. Mary, Keith, Lucy. listen. Listen for him calling. Calling us forward. Listen. Begin living in a new life that Jesus brings. See, Jesus may be invisible to us. But he's not removed from us. We meet Him here, at His table. He is here by His Spirit to unite us in communion with the Father. Remember His words to Mary? I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Your Father. Your God. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? We're family now. Through Jesus Christ's resurrection and ascension, God has become our Father. And we, in turn, have become Christ's brothers and sisters. And we have this new relationship with the Father in Christ and with each other in Christ because He gave Himself. For us. We give thanks to God the Father. That our Savior Jesus Christ. Before he suffered. Gave us this memorial of his sacrifice. At the last supper. The Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks. He broke it. And he said. This is my body. Which is given for you. Eat it. In remembrance of me. And then he also took a cup. After the supper. And he gave thanks and he said. This cup is a new covenant. In my blood. Drink it. In remembrance of me. For whenever we eat this bread. We drink this cup. We declare the Lord's death until He comes again. Let's pray together. Lord our God, send Your Holy Spirit so that this bread and cup may be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we and all Your saints be united with Christ. And may we remain faithful in hope and love. Gather your whole church, O Lord, into the glory of your kingdom. Amen.